For ethical CS to be truly continuous, it may not be enough to just inject it into courses. We need to make it a part of the full, well-rounded education for computer science students. One important organization that's working on this is Major League Hacking. Major League Hacking supports student-run hackathons, short 24 to 48 hour events where students work on building something creative from scratch. MLH serves more than 65,000 students all over the world. And the way that they have chosen to integrate Ethical CS is through their new Ethical Tech initiative. Over the past season of Major League Hacking, students have been talking about the ethical implications of the technology they build in a short time span. These hackers can also participate in a season-long Most Ethical Hack competition, as well as fill out a quiz about different discussion questions in ethical technology that can help them win a full expenses-paid trip to the tech conference of their choosing. This is a big step by an organization that affects many students, and we'll talk to their team to learn more. So today, I'm really excited to bring on Chris from Major League Hacking. So welcome, Chris, to Floating Points. And uh, can you give us an introduction of who you are and what MLH does? Of course. Uh, like you said, I am Chris. Uh, I've worked at MLH for a little more than two and a half years. And I uh, help with a lot of our various touch points that we have with students, including spearheading the Ethical Tech Initiative. And uh, MLH itself, Major League Hacking, is an organization that uh, at our core product serves as the hackathon league. So we work with hackathons all over the world, uh, like you said, touching over 65,000 students, working with over 250 events a year. Um, and we're branching out now into working uh, at a more intimate level with certain universities through like our local host programs and uh, trying to, again, just empower as many hackers as we can. That's awesome. Yeah, we love MLH over here at Mimir. Most of our team members and founders are MLH organizers, participants. Uh, so for those in the audience who are not familiar, Chris, can you explain what a hackathon is? I would love to explain what a hackathon is. Uh, hackathon is a wonderful uh, 24 to 36 hour event. Uh, some go longer, some go shorter, but that's the usual time frame where you basically uh, get in a big venue with a bunch of people from universities uh, all over the state or sometimes all over the world, depending on the size of the event. And you, with the one goal of learning and making a cool project. So some people go to hackathons and say, hey, I want to try to pick up a new programming language or some people have never programmed before and this might be their first time ever opening a text editor. And so it is just a magical uh, competition where people go to learn as much as they can about technology and also work on their presentation skills. Awesome. So creating, sharing, working together, not evil hacking or unethical hacking, any of that? No, we're not uh, sitting hunched over our laptops with our hoodies up. Uh, this is These are events with the core focus of learning, building, and sharing. Awesome. And so how did the ethical technology become an important theme and focus for Major League Hacking? So ethical technology and responsibility has always been a major point of discussion at MLH. We've always wanted to try to find a way to integrate it into our events and our core mission. Uh, earlier uh, last year, we started talking to Omid Yars 
Tech and Society Solutions Lab. Uh, turns out our goals are super aligned, so we partnered with them to roll out our initiative in full swing in fall 2017. Uh, super exciting to hear such a large company as Omidyar getting invested around these kinds of issues. And that was when we really nailed down, hey, let's try to seriously uh, get a kind of a baseline almost of where our hackers are in like thinking about ethical issues in tech and try to get that conversation started now while they're still in college and still going into the workforce. Fantastic. What are the components of the MLH Ethical Tech Initiative and this partnership? Yeah, so there's uh, two major components to it. One is at each event, uh, we have a quiz that people can take where we just ask them some baseline questions of like, hey, here are some ethical tech issues. What do you think about them? Anything from what do you think about self-driving cars? What should they do in these situations? Uh, kind of you know, giving them the trolley problem almost just to kind of get statistics around what students in tech think about those sort of things right now. Uh, the second major component is if you submit a project at an MLH event, um, we send you a sort of writing prompt after the event and say, hey, do you want to dive a little deeper? Like, what are the implications of your project if it were to become as like the next Uber or the next Twitter? Like, what are some things you should take into account that could become problems in the world because of your technology? And what are some ways you can avoid them? Uh, so those are the two major components of it. Awesome. And, and with these quiz questions, how did you develop the, the quiz and how are the responses being used? Yeah, uh, so I actually have a background in academia. I worked as a lecturer for Rutgers for a little bit. Um, so when we started working with OMDR, I drafted up a bunch of questions and I worked with their team very closely. Uh, they're the nicest people in the world. And through that collaboration, we kind of nailed down, hey, here are some short questions we can think of that we think tackle quite a few of the issues happening in the world right now. Uh, and then for the more post-event one, uh, where after you submit a hackathon, those are more open-ended, like just really trying to dig into some kind of core critical thinking things that go into ethical technology. And we really wanna see like how far will people take it and like what are the depth of these responses that we're getting. So we've got a form, we're talking about ethics. People submitting the form might want to know, how is that data going to be used? Ah, yes, sorry. Uh, so we actually have looked over all of the responses. We read all of them. Uh, and we have just now uh, selected the top 20 responses of people who we thought really took it to the next level. Um, those people are going to be getting kind of a final prompt for, hey, here's like a really open-ended essay. Uh, and that's for us to pick a winner because one of the, uh, for our incentive for filling out this uh, prompt is that we are going to select one team from the season who's going to uh, get up to $10,000 to go to a tech conference of their choice uh, this summer, which is super exciting. And so that's kind of how we're nailing it down. But mostly we're just using this data to see what, people think about ethics and technology right now at this early stage. Um, and this is kind of informing our future initiatives in ethical technology. It's also informing OpenDR's future initiatives. Uh, so not really, we're not secretly using this data for anything shadowy. This was uh, mostly just to see baseline, what do people think about these things right now? Can you quantify the impact of the ethical tech quiz? How many yep. students have participated? 
what universities are represented? So uh, we've had over 3,000 completed responses to the ethical tech quiz. That's the one at the event. Uh, it's more than that for people who started it and didn't finish, but 3,000 completed ones, uh, which I think is pretty good. And we have uh, 450 finished responses to our post-event survey, uh, which is, again, really cool to see because those go pretty in-depth sometimes. Uh, and it's really great to see people really thinking about it. Uh, in terms of university representation, all I can tell you is a lot. Uh, just looking through and kind of looking over the various emails we have to see what universities they're at. Uh, it's well over 150 different universities represented in these responses. Yeah, that's, that's great. How diverse are the perspectives represented among the responses? Not just it, the, the students who responded, but their, their answers and their thoughts. Uh, it is super diverse, and that's part of been that's kind of been the really cool part about reading over these responses. Uh, they vary anywhere from just thinking about uh, data privacy issues of, hey, we don't want people to just know people's contact information, to some what I think pretty thoughtful responses. Uh, things like these people made a chat platform, and they're seriously thinking about, hey, what if this becomes a vehicle to empower hate speech? Like we should probably take that into account if we were to develop this further. Um, and I love seeing that sort of stuff and uh, just it really runs the spectrum. Some people go super in depth and start citing laws, which always surprised me. Uh, and so it's interesting to see kind of very different levels of knowledge in terms of what it means to be like ethical technology. And, and are most of the students who respond to the quiz computer science majors? Uh, about half. Um, that seems to be the kind of statistic is 50% uh, of the people go to hackathons are hard computer science majors. A lot of other people will be things like uh, electrical engineering or software engineering, which are close, but not quite. Uh, but yeah, about half of them are hard computer science majors. And how are the students who, are, who don't major in ECS, software engineering, responding to the ethical tech initiative? So uh, it's interesting to see the ones that really stand out are people in the medical field. Uh, there are quite a few medically focused hackathons. And so when they make technology like, hey, this helps monitor your pacemaker, uh, and then in their responses, they're thinking of like, hey, how can this be used maliciously? There's actually a lot of ways that we have to make sure this is secure. And also just citing a lot of medical laws that frankly, I wasn't aware of until I started reading them over. It's interesting that you're bringing up medical students uh, and, and biology, life sciences students, because a lot of instructors that we talk to sometimes complain that, the, that those fields have a lot more development and maturation about how to address ethics and these kinds of concerns. Uh, how, how do those students participate in the hackathons? How do they bring unique experience from their discipline to improve the, the experience of the hackathon? Well, I think uh, your answer is almost in your question. It's just, it's interesting because these people are almost fully loaded at every event. Like they have taken classes only on like ethics and tech, like medical technology. And you kind of, you'd be hard pressed to find like CS uh, coursework that like tackles it that in depth. Because I mean, again, I was an environmental uh, policy major, so like, I had to take biology classes. And even just in the lower level biology classes, you get hit with all these ethical considerations. And even when you're just working in like practice labs, you are told, hey, this is how you have to do this. This is not an argument, um, which, you know, it's kind of, 
you can go back and forth over whether it's better that I think CS kind of fosters some more free thinking rather than like, hey, follow these guidelines this is exactly what you should do. But I do think it's important that you kind of, I think CS classes need to be a little restructured to almost follow that biology template because that is like an older science. So that's just more laid in stone. And meanwhile, computer science is very new. So it's just these curriculums are still very much developing. And I think it's just something that uh, biology people just get this told to them. Their biology in any medical science field, like get told this throughout their entire uh, coursework in college and through all their internships. Meanwhile, you can very well intern as a CS student at a tech company and ethical stuff really just doesn't come up. You might talk about the latest Facebook controversy at work. Uh, that's about it. You might just never interact with it. Meanwhile, biology, you get it every single day. And I think that's kind of the big difference there. I myself am an environmental law major. So when I see my fellow environmentalists in their responses, really thinking about those kind of implications, uh, it's, it's harder, I think, when you're really in the weeds and you're just trying to make a project that functions, it's hard to keep that holistic look at the whole thing. Meanwhile, if you have someone on your team who's more like, hey, I'm gonna be like our PR presenter guy, uh, they're going to have much more of like a wide scale look at the project. And those are the ones I think that can kind of really think about the impact it would have on society if it were to become a real thing, rather than the guy who is more concerned about making sure like the Python worked. Interesting. And uh, how have, you know, I don't know if you can, I don't know if this is a good question, but uh, how can teams integrate those roles? How, how can we make sure that the person implementing the technology is not devoid of ethical concerns that come with the technology? Well, I think it's a, uh, it, this is one of those things where, you know, when you're at a hackathon and you have a very short amount of time to make a functioning project and it's mostly for fun, not really for uh, making a full product that you're going to sell the next day, it's a little harder to kind of keep all that stuff in mind. But if you were to keep working on it and there is kind of the person who's more, you know, associated with PR and less associated with technical stuff, I would almost say it is their responsibility to kind of keep those things in mind and kind of check over what the other people on the team are doing and making that kind of stuff top of mind. And that has really been the sort of themes I've been pulling out of this is like, you need to think about ethical tech stuff from stage zero. If you're seriously making a product that you think is gonna be breakout, people are going to consume it, that needs to be from the first line of code, hey, how do we make sure that this isn't abused or this isn't used maliciously and these sort of things. So it's like, it's one of those things that you have to make sure your entire team is aligned on. Fantastic. So Chris, you used to be a lecturer, now you, you get to work with a lot of awesome students, organizers for MLH. Uh, I'm curious to know how you would describe your ideal ethical CS graduate. That is a very loaded question, uh, but if I really had to tackle it, um, like I said, I really think an ethical CS student is just somebody who thinks about it from the very beginning and really looks at the past and history of technology and like how it's come out and like what have been the pitfalls of there's the 5,000 different controversies that have happened in the past year alone over ethical technology. Uh, it's gotta be a very deliberate thought process 
and it's like easy to see stuff and like issues and stuff that's like an IoT oven that can be used maliciously. Like someone can hack my oven and just turn it on, but it takes another step to think of the less clear cut stuff. Like if you met, made an app that let people meet up in a local area, how do you prevent that from being used maliciously? Like what's the worst case scenario for your app? And are there things you can do to try to avoid that? And is that your responsibility? And it's just, as long as those are questions that come on the table and people think about it, I think that is fantastic. It's like, rather, regardless of how you try to tackle it, it just needs to be something you holistically think about, I think, from the very beginning of your product development. Yeah, and you know, the money question is, how are Major League Hacking alumni better equipped to address ethical concerns in the world of technology, as opposed to, say, someone who doesn't participate in any MLH activities at all? Yeah, uh, and I think, and actually I don't think I know because from our large season survey we sent out, we asked questions around like, hey, have you had ethical conversations in your computer science classes? The result is about only half of our hackers have. So if you're talking about 50% of people said they have never even talked about what it's like to have ethics in their product and think about those kind of things in the classroom, like, even if we just get the ball rolling at MLH hackathons, because I'm not going to lie, this is pretty surface level stuff, but breaking into that surface level and just having it be on your mind that like, hey, these are issues that are out there in the world. Like there are data privacy issues, there are security issues that I really need to keep in mind when I am developing technology, when I move on to the workforce. Like if you get that conversation started early, that person is at such an advantage in the future compared to somebody who has to try to pick it up later on in their work life where it's just not been a thing they've considered. Like just getting that conversation started at MLH hackathons, getting people thinking about it through uh, the questionnaires we've been sending out. I think that really advantages people, especially again, considering that apparently only half the people have serious conversations about ethics in the classroom. So I think this is, MLH has, I think, pretty much served a, as the only touch point that some people have had in terms of thinking about these kinds of issues critically and having other people to talk to them about. When you have a, an activity like a hackathon that by nature is competitive and fast paced, how do you marry that with ethical tech? where it's, it's very reflective and thoughtful. So that was a big reason why we made it a uh, after the event thing for the more in-depth thing. And it's like, hey, you've got some distance from the hackathon now, your adrenaline isn't as pumping, you're not quite as uh, sleep deprived. What are, so like, let's think about what you made and let's think about its considerations. Um, because like you said, hackathons are a fast environment. Now, also not all hackathons are competitive. Some people just go to hang out and to learn stuff. So those people, I think, uh, are more likely to take a little ethical tech quiz and maybe have those conversations with their teammates. But I do think making it an after the hackathon kind of longer term consideration uh, has kind of helped people get into that more reflective state of mind. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, that's a great way to structure it. And can you share some of the, the things that you've learned from running the ethical quiz for the first time? how this will inform future initiatives? Yeah, uh, I mean, the big thing I've learned is just that a lot of people don't think beyond the scope of data privacy. And that's kind of been the big, the big trend that I've noticed, uh, where whenever you ask somebody a question of like, hey, are there any unintended consequences for this project that you've made? People will be like, well, it's not very secure right now because I didn't really have time to write a bunch of security protocols. In the future, I should do that. 
Um, which is why I was saying that the people who take it to the next level, who a lot of them are the people who are in the finalist round or we're going to be sending a more in-depth prompt to, are the people who thought about more of its social implications and like anything uh, as kind of out there as, hey, we made an app to help uh, people who are blind read books. And it's like, what are the consequences? And they respond with, hey, we might accidentally empower really bad people and that may have negative consequences. Uh, to the more, I think, realistic and very real things like we made a chat platform. Chat platforms can be a vehicle for hate speech and uh, those sorts of considerations. So uh, it's only been, a, I would say, like 20% of people have kind of taken it to that next level of thinking critically of its impact rather than just sticking to data privacy because that's kind of the big ethical consideration right now. Uh, so I think in the future, that's going to be the big message is it's like, hey, ethics and tech extends beyond making sure your email isn't getting spammed or making sure that you're not being tracked online. Like there's a lot to worry about in terms of you are making a new product in the world and whether or not that means it's a car that's going to encounter the trolley problem and how does it deal with that? But it can be anything and you have to be ready for those. And I think you have to address those questions early. Uh, so I think that's going to be really how we and OMIDR move forward in thinking about these initiatives. And it's fantastic that MLH is sponsoring a, a conference trip for the students with the, with the most reflective uh, thoughts on ethical tech. But what can be done by MLH and by other educators in the ecosystem for the students that, that didn't go beyond data privacy? had maybe a shallower conception of ethical tech? So that's the big question, right? And that's something we're thinking a lot about at MLH. But I mean, uh, for any of you uh, professors out there or any educators, I think any amount of conversation that you start by making uh, your students seriously think about the implications of technology, whether it's by looking at examples of issues we've had in the past or coming up with a hypothetical technology and saying, hey, what would happen if this went out there? Even just having a brief, like, 45-minute discussion somewhere in there in the semester uh, can really just get people to notice that, hey, this is a thing that exists, and this is like a conversation that should really happen. And I think philosophy is intimately tied with product development. And for people to separate those and not treat them as both really important, uh, I think you're really missing out on a lot of the uh, early conversations that can happen that'll really uh, fuel the workforce in the future. Fantastic. Thanks so much for joining us on Floating Points, Chris. We really appreciate your, your thoughts and the amazing work that Major League Hacking is doing for students all over the world. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having me, Vinesh. Great progress has been made on integrating ethical CS into the classroom, but ultimately, this will affect graduates in their professions and roles. Here are three professional ethical quandaries presented by real engineers and data scientists who wish to remain anonymous. The first, suppose that you work for a data science firm and a previous client of yours wishes to reuse the model that you produced for them they're working in a new problem domain, and a lot of the assumptions of the original model do not hold. But in their view, 
the model that you've produced for them is already sufficient. You try your best to convince them that the situation has changed and there could be negative consequences of using the old model. But in their view, you're just trying to get them to pay you for another round of development. Another scenario, your company excels in engineering and data collection, and now you're producing a third wave application, one that allows people who have not gone through your training in engineering to be able to build similar models and manage similar processes. You're worried that not enough documentation or that any amount of documentation can prepare them to make the sound decisions that you encounter every day at work. How can this be handled? And finally, suppose that you learn of work going on in your company that does not fit with your ethical compass and that you feel is bad for your users and other developers. Most people claim that they would leave their job in protest or make a statement somehow. But for this person, that's simply not an option for them professionally or with respect to their income. What are other ways to make change from inside? All of these are plausible scenarios for people that are working in computing. And even if you don't work in computing, these consequences will reach into other industries and other roles. The work that our instructors are doing is admirable and helping prepare students to be reflective on these issues. But thus far, we have yet to invoke an actual ethical scholar that you might recognize from a textbook or a paper. Let's talk about John Rawls the American moral and political philosopher who proposed the idea of a veil of ignorance. This he designed for policymakers and leaders. The idea that when they were considering a new decision, they needed to remove the biases of their own standing. In Rawls's veil of ignorance, you remove yourself from your current position and now have to consider ending up in any random combination of social income level, standing, or even race and ethnicity, and now consider how that decision might affect you or other people. Perhaps we need a technological veil of ignorance, a way to remove our stakes and biases, and consider how a technological change will affect every different type of user and stakeholder affected by that position. This is something that can be imbued in the classroom, but will only make a real change if it lasts across the entire lifetime of people who work in technology.